Carla Short, and I'm a zany woman in a cuckoo job at San Francisco Public Works. I don't think there's probably a woman out there who hasn't had an experience in the workplace where they were maybe not listened to, um, say, an idea, and there's no reaction, and then a man in the same room says the exact same thing you just said, and everyone's like, oh, great idea. I am currently the interim director of San Francisco Public Works, and that entails overseeing a really large department with lots of employees and lots of divisions that do incredible work. In many ways, I think my current job is to kind of represent the department before the board and the mayor and the public to some degree, and to try to bring awareness. Um, I'm sort of public facing for the department. Many of our employees are as well. And then to some degree, I guess, to work on the vision for the department, how we want to move forward and in the future, setting some of our strategic goals, working with the executive team and and with feedback from other folks as well. Um, and certainly part of the reason why I think I'm in this role at this moment is to try to provide some sense of stability with all of the transitions and uncertainty that we've had. Um, I've spent 17 years with the department. When I was urban forester, I had the opportunity to work with so many different divisions within the department. You know, we worked a lot with permitting and landscape architecture and even the architects and even the infrastructure divisions, you know, paving program, we would need to prune trees for them. Or I was always trying to protect trees when we would have contracts that might do excavation. So um, I was able to meet so many different people in the organization. I started my career doing primarily international biodiversity conservation, and I worked on habitat conservation as a means toward species conservation. And I was mostly working in West Africa. And my last four years that I spent in West Africa were pretty challenging. I was in Ivory Coast or Cote d'Ivoire. There had been a coup, there was a lot of civil unrest, um, and there was basically a civil war. And that was really challenging because a lot of the protected areas actually became havens for rebel forces. And so they had a really significant impact on the protected areas. All that to say it was a tough time to be doing that work, and I needed a break. I was pretty wiped out. And so I decided to go to graduate school. And at the time, I fully thought that I was just taking a little break, going to kind of burnish up my resume. And then I would get back into it and head back to West Africa and, and feel recharged. And in graduate school, I got a job with a tiny nonprofit in Connecticut that did community-based forestry. 
And it really was, I just, I needed, you know, I needed a little work and I wanted to get to know the community outside of the school. I didn't want to just be only sort of on campus and not knowing the broader community. I was, you know, I, I went to grad school 10 years after my undergraduate degree. So I was an older student and I felt more, I think, associated with the community than sort of the student body in a way. And I loved it. It was so interesting and fun. And we worked with the city to buy vacant lots and then plant trees on them and make them tiny parks. And we worked with neighbors to plant street trees and working together. It really brought the community together. People got to know their neighbors and we could see this positive impact. And for the previous almost 10 years, I had been fighting blood, sweat and tears and feeling like we were losing the battle. So this just felt so positive and uplifting to, you know, watch the trees grow that you're planting. So did that, loved it, finished grad school, applied for a bunch of jobs doing biodiversity conservation. And I applied for one job doing urban forestry. And I thought, they'll never hire me to do this. I only have two years of experience with this and, you know, all of my other experiences with biodiversity conservation. And it was in San Francisco, California, and I was in New Haven, Connecticut. So I didn't think that I would get this job, but I did. I was hired to be the urban forester for public works. And that was in 2004. And that started this incredible journey with the city and with public works. Um, working towards what is now our Street Tree SF program, where we got dedicated funding for tree care and working closely with partners like Friends of the Urban Forest, who, which was an organization very similar to the one I had worked for in Connecticut. And in fact, that's how I found out about this job because a then staff from Friends of the Urban Forest had gone to my same graduate program and he posted the job for the city. So I... Started as urban forester and then Buff got dismantled for a little while and that was tough. And at that time I went to BSM and I was deputy bureau manager there. And then when it looked likely that we would pass a ballot measure to take back all the street trees and get some dedicated funding, I applied to be the superintendent of Buff and I got that job. That's how I ended up here. Long path, long windy kind of maybe not Lombard Street, but maybe Vermont Street path to where I am now. Probably one of the greatest, certainly people that I look up to, who I would, I would like to claim as a mentor is Wangari Mathai. She was a hero of mine for many years. She was a Kenyan environmental activist. She became Minister of the Environment in Kenya, first woman to do that. She created the Green Belt Movement, which was really about empowering women and planting trees and empowering women through tree planting. I got to know her. She was my professor. She was a visiting professor in my graduate program. And she was all that I had hoped she would be and more in terms of a mentor and someone who was so generous with her incredible mind and influence and through that power. And she won the Nobel Prize. So 
She's no slouch. And we dedicated a tree to her because she was interested in San Francisco and would come to visit San Francisco. And she just represented all of the kind of the best use of power and influence to me. She was warm and generous and so smart and figured out ways to have a positive impact and to really, you know, look to work for the disenfranchised always while trying to also make the environment a better place. So I would encourage anyone to read her autobiography called Unbowed. And I will say that this job is really fascinating and great, but also can be challenging. And whenever I feel like, how am I going to get through this? I look to her and I look to that autobiography and I think I could do it. I can get through it. I think there's still a lot of challenges for women in the workforce. And certainly I think in some careers, there have been women, um, the women who have paved the way have made it easier for women who are following now. Um, Things were much better for me than they were for women who preceded me. I remember hearing from some of the first women who worked at the operations yard and there was no women's bathroom. You know, we've come a long way from that. So certainly things were better for me than for a lot of women who preceded me. And I hope that we'll continue to make things better. But we're not done. It's not over. The challenges still exist. Pay disparity is very real. And we need to not get complacent and still work towards greater equality and greater opportunity for women. just one anecdote that was sort of satisfying for me (laughs) when I was uh, had just gone to a hearing a tree hearing with my colleague Chris Buck who is our urban forester and a wonderful colleague and as so often happened after the hearing was over people sort of gathered in the hallway milling about a little bit and a woman came up to me and said oh I wanted to ask you about this particular permit question about the tree. And she said, well, I've been talking with Chris Buck about that. I guess he's your boss. And I said to her, I don't know why on earth you would guess that because I'm Chris's boss. And then she said, oh, oh, sorry about that. Oh, but this was a woman who said it to me. And I think that just illustrates how systemic the perceptions can be. When I was urban forester, we had a small claims court case where a person had brought a claim against the city because they wanted us to pay for their sewer damage. And as anyone who has worked with me for more than a a short time has probably heard, tree roots do not really cause sewer damage. They can make it worse, but typically there's a leak and the leak is what attracts the tree root and then the tree root gets in there and makes it worse. So We got sued and we were going to small claims court. And fun fact, you can't have a lawyer in small claims court. Everyone has to represent him or herself, or they can have someone who's helping, but it's not about lawyers. So I was there with a investigator from the city attorney's office and the investigator kind of presented our case and said, well, the city's urban forester 
has provided me with all these documents that demonstrate that tree roots don't cause sewer damage. We acknowledge they can make it worse, but they don't cause it. So we don't think we're responsible. It sort of explained, you know, what I had told the investigator. And then the judge said, well, is he here? Does he want to speak? And so our colleague in the city attorney's office said, well, she is here. And the judge was mortified. And I think because the judge was so embarrassed, we got the quickest <laughs> finding in our favor. I think that he was just so embarrassed that he assumed that the urban forester was a man. And I said, I'm happy to speak, Your Honor. And he said, that's okay. That's okay. I believe everything you've said in your documents. Thank you. Finding for the city. And that was the end of that. So um, yeah, we've all, I think any woman working has had an experience that was either very explicitly about gender or there are many, many sort of microaggression moments that I think women face, sadly, still today in the workplace. I definitely felt, especially when I was when I was younger in my career and maybe less confident about or determined to make my voice heard. I had experiences where many times where I was the only woman in the room and oftentimes felt like no one was listening to what I was saying. And I had one experience where I literally had to shout to be heard in a room and everyone looked so stunned. I can't remember what the question was, but it was, I was clearly the most qualified person to answer the question and no one was listening to me. And I finally pounded on the table and said, wait a second, I can answer this question. And everyone looked at me like, who does she think she is? It hasn't happened to me in this role and it hasn't happened to me too recently, but I think I have also learned how to try to make my voice heard. And I am not shy about that. And I've taken classes to try to get there. So it wasn't something that came naturally to me. I had to, I had to learn and learn techniques and study to be able to try to do that. I think women often are taught at very young ages that it's not appropriate to advocate for oneself. And I think by contrast, men and boys are, are taught that it's, it's a good sign to advocate for oneself and it's important to advocate for oneself. And so I think a lot of women are reluctant to seek leadership positions because they think that might reflect poorly that they have that ambition. I also think, I think many women, I'll, I'll speak for myself, I am more comfortable in a collaborative kind of approach. And sometimes that feels like you're not a leader. If you're in a leadership role, you're supposed to be the one leading. I think one of the things that I've really appreciated in this current role is I feel like I have been able to have a very collaborative approach. And it's really working with colleagues to advance the organization. And so I don't feel like I'm the leader. I feel like I'm part of a team of great people and we work really well together and together we're, we're um, forging that path. But certainly I think that might contribute to some women's reluctance to be in those roles. And then another thing for many women is 
having a family as well as a career prevents you from being able to have some of those opportunities, whether it's because you took time off to have a family or whether because you, you know, are trying to balance the needs of having a family and having a job that takes a lot of time and energy. And so I think that's a barrier for a lot of women. When I started my career, I had no idea that I I had no aspirations to be in a leadership position. I did have aspirations to have an impact. That's what mattered to me and what still matters to me, frankly. I hope that having a leadership position allows me to have an impact and a greater impact. You know, San Francisco is, is a world famous city. It's a beautiful city. It's a diversity. It has so many wonderful attributes and aspects. And so every day we can see the impact that we have on the city. And that's how I measure our successes are whether, you know, we can have a positive impact on this place. Yeah, that's how I measure it. Thanks for listening to Snapshots, a public works podcast.